Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week I'm talking to Cheryl Campbell, who is a school business leader and also founder of Abled, the Association for BAME Business Leaders in Education, and friend of the podcast, Stephen Morales, CEO of the Institute of School Business Leadership. So we're talking about the Exploring Ethnicity report that ISBL released earlier this year and having a positive and practical conversation about what can be done to increase the representation and progression of BAME business leaders. Appreciating that we're coming from quite a low low baseline of representation um, in the sector. And I think what comes across clearly is it's important to recognise that that there is a problem. And some of that may be conscious um, discrimination, unconscious bias or discrimination, or even silence linked to um, some of these issues. And also to think about um, the role of the school business leader itself and getting parity of esteem with other uh, people doing leadership roles within the school. So lots to think about um, uh, in my discussion with our guests today. As ever, Key Voices is uh, an opportunity for folk to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello. Today, I'm joined by Cheryl Campbell, who is Business, Finance and Operations Director at Thomas Tallis School and founder of AbleEd, the Association for BAME Business Leaders in Education, and Stephen Morales, who is CEO of ISBL. Uh, hello and welcome to both of you. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi there. Stephen, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Um, regular listeners will know we've done quite a bit of work with um, ISBL. Um, but um, Cheryl, it would be great if you could tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your career path into school business leadership. Okay, thank you. So um, I have just become moved into my fifth year of being a school business leader. So uh, I feel quite new to the profession still, I'm not an old hand yet. Um, prior to that, I worked for a local authority for 14 years. So I started off, I did a couple of years in the finance department, and then I moved over to what was called the education department, but later became children's services. And that was 12 years in um, pupil services, was dealt with admissions, exclusions, that sort of um, line of work. Um, three years into that department, I decided to um, apply to be a school governor. And so I became a school governor at a primary school close to home, but that was really my first entanglement with education outside of work. Um, and working with, with schools on a daily basis. So in my line of work, I was um, giving advice to head teachers, to governors, so I worked with schools and being on a governing body, that really gave me some insight into the school business leadership profession. It was something I hadn't heard of much before that. Um, and then I, I applied, a role I didn't get it <laughs> that was around 2009 so it, it sort of you sort of thought well I can do this job but actually there's a lot of things you really need to have a great understanding of to do it so 2014 I, I went ahead and did the qualification and that gave me the grounding to really you know move into this profession I, I 
did the, did the qualification 2014 and got my first role in 2015, just as it finished. So that, that was my journey into becoming a school business leader. And that was yet yeah, just over five years ago. That was my journey into school business leadership. That's, that's really interesting because um, oftentimes I, I, I find myself talking to, 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 to people who have, have maybe um, taken a more sort of organic um, route through various administrative roles within a school and, and kind of worked their way up to school business leadership. So it's, it's nice to hear a story of somebody who um, kind of set their, set their sights on it and then, and then uh, went for it. So um, really interested to hear a bit more from you about your motivation for setting up um, ABLED, because we're going to talk in a little bit about, about the research um, that um, ISBL have done in, into diversity. But can you tell us a little bit about, about ABLED? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, when I get asked this question, I tend to pinpoint the starting point as the publication of the Institute's um, workforce census, workforce Sorry, I mean work then, sorry. Workforce survey results, and they published them in January. And I kind of pinpoint that as a starting point, not because I hadn't thought of these issues beforehand, but that was really when it came to a head and I saw these results. And I think like quite a few people, I was just quite surprised at how low those percentages were. And that was really when I thought, oh, what do we do about this? And I, I think I mulled it over for quite a while and I thought, should there be working groups? You know, what, what's the next step in this process? And I really want it to be part of a, a solution, something that's gonna affect change. And th- those results came out in January of last year, before we knew all about this pandemic that was on its way. Um, and around May, I thought, you know, we'd had a month of lockdown and I'd had more time to mull it over. And I thought, just go for it, just, just do something, just get it done. And I spoke with a few people and picked a few brains about what we could do to take a step towards, and actually what we wanted to achieve. So was it that we wanted to um, encourage more people into the profession? Was it about just saying, look, there are some of us here, you know, and signposting that, that the percentages are low, but there are people scattered around. And I just really went for it. And I said, let's just start this. And it was just me and three other people and said, let's just start and see where it leads us. And then a couple of weeks later, we had all those horrific events in the US. And that really um, brought the issues to the forefront of people's minds. And I think that's helped us in a way that it means that people are more, um, people have been more reflective and been more willing to step forward and support. So rather than being um, silent bystanders, I think we have now people who not necessarily, didn't necessarily think about the issues beforehand. And so having those results circulated by Isabel that's really helped to bring bring the issues to people's minds and say, actually, this is the problem. How do we solve it? So that was really where my motivation came from. It was it was the head of that those results being being published and seeing how low those numbers were. So very much um, for you a kind of sort of grass grass movements, I guess res- response to that, and as you say, kind of ev- evolving what what you want to do as you go, but kind of starting that conversation, m- making those links and and having having a kind of focus um, for the, the, the very real issue that, um, you know, the, the school business leadership workforce and arguably the, the school um, workforce more widely isn't as, as diverse as it could be. And, and it certainly isn't as diverse as the group of, of young people who are going through the system right now. 
Absolutely, I think. And, you know, the teaching workforce has done the same sort of, of um, survey and the figures are similar, slightly higher, but, but similar, all the same across the UK. Exactly so. And Stephen, how, how does the, the Institute kind of um, work with and, and collaborate with, with a group like, like Abled? Yes, yeah, so, I think there's a, there's a few things that I'd like to pick up um, and, then, and then hopefully bring it back round to your question. Um, so um, Cheryl's absolutely right. Um, the results of the ISBL workforce survey were, were, were quite, quite sobering. Um, um, I, uh, I, I made a personal commitment once those results were, were, were issued to, to try and effect change. Um, I started to, to meet with, um, with colleagues uh, from across the country uh, from the BAME community and, and, and those conversations were, were very productive, um, uh, very insightful, very helpful for me to understand their own experience, their own experience not only in their own context but also their experience um, of attending conferences and events around the, the country and looking around the room and, and, and not often not seeing uh, faces similar to, to their own. Um, and, and whilst I think the universally the response was you know, uh, people are are welcoming and encouraging of our participation. There is still a kind of unspoken distance, um, and 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 trying to work through that. Um, we, I believe, we were starting to develop some momentum in terms of the conversation and and starting to bring some other stakeholder groups together. You know, the NHT, ASCOL, CST, and so forth, and then the pandemic hit. And, and to be honest, we at that point we got um, distracted, um, and, and the, you know it, it, it's it's a weak excuse, I guess, for not continuing the effort. But nevertheless, you know things came at us at pace, um, and uh, you know it, it meant that we couldn't we couldn't travel, we couldn't interact, we couldn't engage in the way we'd like we would like to have. Um, the the, the, the fact that, that Cheryl took the, the bull by the horns, as it were, and, and, and drove, drove the, the Able Ed initiative forward, uh, I think, um, well, certainly gave us the, the relevant um, kick that we needed and push in, 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 in the direction of, of, of being more proactive. Um, and uh, certainly, yeah, the George Floyd, the tragic George Floyd incident incident uh, really sharpened everybody's everybody's mind um i i, I think that, I mean, this, 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 this is incredibly complex um uh, there's no silver bullet as it were it, it, it's about a conversation it's about it's about self-reflection it's about being authentic in terms of your own perceptions of of, of how this <clears throat> how this um manifests uh you know dis discrimination and, and and inequality um and you know in the conversations that i've had with sector leaders it, it's forced us to do some really important really deep soul searching um and that and that's only just started you know there's, there's, a, there's an incredibly long way to go interesting what, what cheryl said cheryl said that that um that she was working working in the education department, uh, local authority education department, but hadn't really heard of the school business leader role until she came across it 
perhaps when you started as a governor, I'm not sure exactly the, 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 the timeline, but this is part of the problem. So, I mean, the, the, the numbers, um, the, the, the 3% that, are, that, that form part of the sample that we surveyed, the, the thousand practitioners, is, is, is shocking and we, and we need to, to address that. Um, absolutely, we do. But there is this, this, this piece around the school business leadership profession not being as well understood to the wider, to wider society as it might be. And, and I think one of, the, one of the things we can do, one of, the, one of the ways that we can affect change is to start to articulate what an exciting career this is. Um, and, and, and I think the way we can do that is in the first instance is have uh, school business leaders like Cheryl, and there are many others, um, um, advocating about the role talking to talking to groups of children um, and saying this is a really exciting role this is what I do this is a career pathway that you can pursue um, interestingly I, I spent some time up in in, in Manchester uh, before the pandemic uh, speaking to undergraduates on a, a leisure and tourism course and a lot of the modules have very you know a lot of synergy with what 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 school business leaders do so um finance hr premises procurement you know all of the kind of that that, that portfolio of skills that you would need to fulfill a school business leadership function um and it is likely that many of them will go on to work in hotels or resorts managing facilities managing operations but it hadn't occurred to them that actually education is another place where they could uh, discharge their their their, um, their 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 you know use their skills to discharge a function which would which, which is very rewarding and there was kind of a light bulb moment and and you know you could see around the room going oh I didn't even think that was a that was a thing now this this other person that we've seen walking around the school that seems to be a senior leader you know we didn't really know what they did um, so there's and, and we've got to be careful as well, I think, as a, as a profession that we that, that, that uh, we don't fall into the, the, the trouble of it being an echo, echo chamber. So we talk to each other about you know, how wonderful school business leadership is, and that's great and, and it's important, but we need to talk a lot, a lot, a lot more, more, more widely. So bringing it back to the question you asked, how do we help groups like Able Ed? What we need to be doing as an institute is giving representatives from Able Ed a platform, giving them the opportunity to talk to, to colleagues, making sure there are role models like Cheryl that, 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 that have a, uh, a national voice, a regional voice. Um, and uh, to the extent that we can supporting the events and the services that Able-Ed provide through our own uh, networks and, and, and resources. And, and we're absolutely committed to that. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited about, about the, the ongoing relationship. And you know, once we, once we come out of the, uh, the, um, the pandemic and we're able to, to move a bit more freely. I'm sure there's loads of things we can do together. And, and what about you, Cheryl? Do you, what are your kind of um, hopes for the, for the future and, and how do you see yourself working um, with the Institute? I think for AbleEd, um, collaboration is, is absolutely the foundation of what we want to achieve. So we, we, we're very, very new. I mean, we're in our infancy, but we're looking at mapping out the different organisations that we can collaborative links with. Um, the Institute is a perfect example, just, just being able to 
publicize what we're doing and just making sure that people understand what Able-Ed is about. That reach, that sort of national reach is absolutely crucial just to, just to really support, support our members, support ISBEL members, just to understand what support is out there for them and what avenues are there and just being able to signpost. It's a, it's a reciprocal arrangement because it means that actually we can signpost our members to say, ISBEL is here for you. Are you looking at CPD? ISBEL has, has all this information on their website. Now, a lot of business leaders out there are not members of ISBEL, and that was um, reflective in the results of the survey. Mm. So where it was a reflect, the survey reflected um, a sample of the UK, but we know that not everybody responded. So we need to be able to get underneath that and say, well, why aren't you a member? Why, why are you not taking up these things that are available to you? And we've had even some people say, oh, I didn't realize. And it's so it's about us, us explaining that to our members as well, that you can get the support out there at a, a national level. You can be put in touch with mentors. You can attend these national conferences. But I think for us, to, and we, we, we need to really have that you know, mutual arrangement that we're actually supporting each other and trying, because we're all trying to drive towards the same goal, which is increasing the visibility of school business leaders, making the profession, you know, stand its own ground with the senior leadership. We have so many school business leaders who are not on the leadership team. And it's mm -hmm. about getting that professionality and saying, yes, we are on par with other school leaders. And so we're working with, you know, I go to the um, ASPL BAME Senior Leaders Network as well, just to say, I'm a business leader and I am a school leader. I'm not, you know, I'm technically admin, which is what I have to put on the school workforce census. But actually, we are on par with other school leaders and we need to get that parity. So I think it's key to work with other organisations, ISBOL, ASCOL, NAHT, just to really propel ourselves into the spotlight. And we can only do that by working together and all singing from the same hymn sheet. Yeah, and as you say, um, you know, role models do play such an important part in in people understanding that spaces and organisations are for them and and for people that they can can identify with. And um, you know, we've spoken a lot on the podcast about what tremendously varied and um, uh, exciting role school school business leadership can be. But also, you're expected to have a huge range of of, of knowledge and and skills and the importance of networking um, as sort of part of that and understanding what's going on in other places and having people that you can draw on to um, support you. And um, yeah, and in, in the research that the key's done, it, it did flag up that some people are sort of not part of that um, yet or, or not part of it to the extent that they want to be. And um, I think because we're also used to sort of um, teachers and head teachers being represented by unions, um, it, you know, it, it, just, it just feels like there's a way for um, to, to go sometimes for those um, those involved in the non-teaching aspects of of school we need a collective voice in, in indeed indeed um and but but i guess that also then has to be um you know appropriately di diverse voice um uh as as well 
And um, just moving on to think a little bit about the research. So there was that initial um, workforce um, survey that was done and then ISBL sort of wanted to explore ethnicity in the workforce in a little bit more detail. So the report, and we'll link to the report um, in the notes of this podcast, did, was some, there was some data analysis. Um, uh, do either of you want to just sort of take me through the key findings of, of that, that data analysis, and then we'll move on to the qualitative aspect? The, the, second, piece of, the second piece of research, so the, the, the research conducted by Dr. Fiona Creeby uh, from Manchester University, um, the, the very nature of it was it was, it was a, it was um, uh, a more sharply focused piece of research. Um, so by, by its nature was, whilst there was, there, there was some quantitative data that emerged from it, it, it was a qualitative, more of a qualitative exercise. Um, and, and, and I think, I mean, again, Cheryl can probably speak with more authority than, than I can, um, given her, her own lived experiences, but um, the feedback that, that, that I had uh, was, not only from the research, but for those that were part participating in, in the research, was that actually a lot of the stories, a lot of the accounts were, uh, won't come as a surprise to many people from the BAME community. They're not new things. They're shocking, but they're not new. Um, they are shocking to those that haven't lived through those experiences. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's very interesting, but actually really important um because we we need to we need to shine a spotlight and some of the things that i think were, were drawn out were quite subtle uh, subtle well they weren't subtle actually and um, that that's the wrong word they could be perceived to be subtle but actually in their own way um incredibly uh well incredibly wrong uh, but incredibly damaging and incredibly um uh yeah i mean it's it's it, 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 we've just got to we've just got to call that kind of behavior out and and not expose any of our um any of our uh, education community to the kind of things that emerged from 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 the report so um i i think for me it's it's the start of a it's the start of a conversation so i know i haven't gone into any sort of granular detail but i don't think there's a need to i think there are, there are some key messages and themes that come out and the accounts are very powerful and very personal. Um, and what what the research tells me is that never mind the numbers, and we can look at the the, the ninety seven percent and the three percent, which in its own way is shocking. But but actually, it's it's the nature it's the nature of of uh, of um, discrimination, um, over or subtle or whatever phrase you want to 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 to, to badge it with. That needs to be addressed and i think this is where the soul searching needs to start so i mean and again you know cheryl i'm sure will, will come in with, with, with her own perspective on this but um when we look at when we look at the leadership community across the education world uh, and that's across the pillars of leadership business governance and and and, and pedagogy um I, I think lead well I know leaders need to to take themselves to a space where they do some proper self-reflection and and then think about have any of their actions contributed um, directly or indirectly and it could be just because they've been silent not that they've done anything um, 
are they prepared to ask that question of themselves if they are and when they are that's when we can start to see change and that's the biggest thing that's emerged for me from from this piece of research and and, it, and it's you know it's that it's that um and this is this is a terribly crude analogy and, and you know you can cut it out from the edit or leave it in or, or leave it up to you but <laughs> alcoholics reform when they recognize they're alcoholics yeah and, and and in a way what we need is an acceptance that there is a problem before we can address the the problem um and 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 so that's why these accounts are powerful because it makes people take a good look in the mirror and say am i the person i really thought i was uh, you know to what extent have i been a bystander have i been been complicit through my silence or have i even had thoughts uh, along the way that have led me in a particular direction which you know isn't in the spirit of equity and diversity so that's 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 where that's what i take away from 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 the research i think one of the most one of the positive things that have come out come out of this research is it it shows that we're actually now shining a light on this area so we're shining a light and it and for me it feels as though people are now feeling empowered to speak out and why that i mean um ethnicity so people are feeling empowered to speak out and say hey this isn't right but also if we look at those accounts people feel a lot more empowered to say this is what I've experienced mm. and I think the really sad thing is that a lot of people from from the BAME community go through these things all the time and just write them off as that's the way it is that's what I have to deal with that's part of life yep. and it's just something and I think it's from a very young age you just think that's just the way it is and people are now feeling empowered to say, I can speak up against this. I, this is not the treatment I should expect because that's that's very often the way that you think, I just have to get on with it. I just have to deal with it. And now I think there's the appetite to push forward and looking around and seeing allies who are willing to fight the fight together. And I think that is, it feels almost like a, a, a momentous time, you know, mm. a momentous occasion in history where now we're saying, and it, I feel like it will be pinpointed to say this is when there was a, a particular change in direction mm. and people of all ethnicities felt empowered to actually speak on the subject. Whereas I think beforehand, a lot of people, and I mean from all ethnicities, would not approach these things and actually articulate them as issues. And it would just bubble away under the surface and not, not be dealt with. So I think that's, that's really one of the things for me that's come out of the research, that it's, it's leading the way and saying, we are looking at this, we're shining a light on it. We're not necessarily coming up with solutions, but the first step has to be to uncover what the problems are before you can sort of dash into a solution. I think a lot of people think that they have to very quickly say, this is our 10 point plan. It doesn't always work like that. You have to actually have a baseline and see where you are, where you stand first and work towards a better way forward. That makes sense. And I think, sorry, just, 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 just to, just to support Cheryl's comments there. I think we, as leaders as well, we've got to be ready for someone to tap us on the shoulder and say, "You didn't call that out," or, 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 or you didn't, um, you didn't deal with that, or you didn't see that, or you behaved in that way. And we've got to be ready to say, "You know what? You're absolutely right." And, and, and now I'm onto it, and not, not be on the defensive. We, we have no, we have no. Uh, no right to feel defensive at all 
and and that again from a leadership perspective is 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 a, is a paradigm shift that needs to take place yeah i think um it, what what really comes across strongly i think on reading the report is the voices of those people who it almost just felt like this is the first time somebody has has asked the question you know kind of in in relation to your your race your ethnicity you know how have you been treated in 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 school in progression and in these various ways and it almost you know in some ways it almost sort of felt like the first time actually connecting and articulating and 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 almost you know going oh actually yeah I think I think some of this is the you know like almost sort of putting together for the first time and and I think it is you know it's it's difficult for all of us um whether directly affected um um or people who have as you say indirectly or directly done things to disadvantage people from from different ethnicities um but it, it almost feels in a school context where um you know people are uh behaving ethically and and morally with regard to a lot of other things obviously role models for students and and staff it almost feels even more uncomfortable to go actually i've been doing a lot of this maybe at a sub a, you know a less conscious level but it's still wrong and um and as you say stephen sort of coming coming to that realization there um there's some very kind of yeah brave ac- accounts um from from people really in that in that research and i do do commend them to people to to read and really get um a, a feel from it because until somebody brings that perspective to your attention you know people could could legitimately say that they haven't haven't seen it um Cheryl have you got any other thoughts about those um those kind of qualitative um interviews um <laughs> I think some of the points that, that came out of it, I mean, I, I read through the different accounts of, of their experiences and they had various experiences within the profession. And some of the points they pulled out, they talked about um, ethnicity needs to be explored by a methods that can attract a wider pool of respondents. And I thought that again leads to our work. How can we engage with different people? And it, you know, we don't want it to be an echo chamber. So could we be making links with head teachers, for example? So head teachers being the people that we reach out to and say, are you talking to your business managers? Are you encouraging your business managers? Do you have, you know, are you signposting them to things like Isabel? Are you, I mean, I saw a tweet the other day from Isabel to um, ask whether the head teachers had a copy of the standards. And it's just that the head teachers need to be accountable. They're, you know, they're very, they're very good at doing appraisal for deputy heads, but often school business leaders get left to the side and they need to be, treat them in the same way that their profession is just as important, their progression is just as important, supporting them is just as important. So head teachers, I think, are key in this in this um, strategy that we need to, to bring um, school business leaders to the forefront. And I think head teachers are the ones that we that need to be aware of the things that ISPL is doing. I think head teachers definitely are part of that process. And as you say, um, you know, the school business leader is is often, you know, the only person doing that job so there isn't that kind of comparison 
Um, whereas, you know, some of these things would be more, more easy to, to spot if you go, well, I've got two assistant heads and, you know, how am I being fair to both of them, et cetera. Like you don't have that with the school business leader. And as we've, we, you know, as, and as you mentioned at the beginning there, you know, there are these, these issues and challenge around, are they on the leadership team and are there, as, is their voice being heard as a school business professional? And if then, if you're adding an extra layer into that, you know, just trying to, to um, make sure that um, you, you're getting the, the the best quality input around the table, and I think that's um, you know the, the the key the 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 key message there that you'll you know get a better quality of of input discussion decision made from having a diverse group of people um, involved. This isn't just a box ticking exercise. I think yeah, absolutely and I think that goes up to governors as well it's not just about the staff within the school but it's about looking at your governing body and having a diverse governing body these are the people that recruit your senior leaders would be involved in that recruitment process so is there an understanding of how skilled your governing body is in terms of um, unconscious bias training which a lot of schools have done for their staff but are we bringing our governors into that process as well? And and again, the statistics around governance and and um, you know the backgrounds of governors. Again, there is there is so much work to be done there, and um, the key and NGA and others are are doing some research into that right now. But as you say, it's it's an excellent point in because it does definitely affect who's 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 progressing. Um, let's be let's be real about it. Um, so Stephen, you you mentioned a little bit about. Um, making young people aware of the role of um, school business professional um, at a point where they're deciding what to do with their their careers. What what other things do you think um, to both of you can be can be done to improve the representation and progression of um, um, of, of SP, SBPs from um, BAME backgrounds? I mean, I think I think I mean, there's a, there's a few things. Um, and one of them, um, Cheryl just alluded to. So the professional standards document and getting that embedded in the consciousness of head teachers and governors is, is, is a really good starting point because then people start to understand more fully the, the role and uh, and the conversation about recruitment and performance management it, it does beg the question if there's no school business leader other than the one that's in there at the moment uh, within the staff structure then where are head teacher and governors reference points where, 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 where are they coming from um, uh, I, I, I think there's just a bigger, there's just a bigger campaign that needs to take place across society about this other strand of leadership, um, which is, I mean, it's it's just brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it, I, I, I would say that, wouldn't it, as the chief executive of the Institute of School Business Leadership? But genuinely, having worked in various uh, in, in, in various roles across my, you know, during my working life, including local authority and with large investment banks and internationally. Um, you know, being a school business uh, leader was was one of the most fulfilling roles I, I ever had because it was the best of, of everything. It was, you know, the the end product is the life chances of a child. What what better vocation could there be? But alongside alongside that, you've got project management, you've got finance, you've got essentially a bit of a blank canvas because nobody else knows <laughs> what what to do. Um, you've got to come up with the solutions. You can be strategic. You can be quite operational. You can choose which way you take your specialism, um, you know, it's, and actually the, the skills, I mean, not, not that I would want to hemorrhage school business leaders out of the profession, but it's a very portable set of skills as well. So it has everything going for it. Um, and, 
I think we've now, probably in the last few years, removed the glass ceiling in terms of opportunity. So there, there, there are now examples of people who've progressed through the ranks and ended up as chief executives of multi-academy trusts. So, you know, you can, you can, you can, if, if you, if you, if you're inclined to do so and you, you undertake the, the, the right um, uh, professional development, then you can absolutely become a, a chief executive of a multi-academy trust. In fact, it's probably easier for a school business leader to become a CEO than it is to retrain and become a head teacher, um, <laughs> uh, uh, perversely. Um, but, you know, being a head of, a head of learning is, is quite specialised and uh, quite rightly requires very specific training. But we, we just need to be talking about this more uh, nationally. We need to be talking about not only the contribution that school business leaders make to our system, you know, absolutely critical. And I think the pandemic has, has, uh, has brought that absolutely to the fore. I don't think many schools would have, would have been able to weather the storm of the pandemic without a school business leader managing business continuity, reconfiguration of schools, risk assessment and everything else. Um, so, that, so maybe we should, we should use this as an opportunity to, to keep the momentum going, but we do need to be talking in very glowing terms about the exciting profession that is school business leadership and and it has to happen now because one of the other things that the survey told us was that it's an aging profession you know we've got people you know the majority of the majority of the respondents are you know 55 plus um gone through the national college programs maybe 15 years ago um when estelle morris wanted a thousand school business leaders trained she ended up with nine thousand um but that cohort, that cohort is, is is reaching, is approaching retirement. So it's where's the next, where's the next um, cadre of, of 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 talented young people coming into the profession? And we need to be out there, you know, we need to be out there at trade shows. We need to be talking to universities. We need to be, we need to be developing apprenticeship pathways as well. I mean, there's some, there are pathways, but there aren't enough, and, and access to the levy is still a bit. A bit, uh, a bit hit and miss, um, but yeah, that's that's where we need to be putting some some real effort, and and we need we need you know ultimately we need government backing for this. So if and I've said this a number of times, a steep reform curve, quite a shallow shallow development curve, and so we have a skills gap and a skills deficit across the lead, the, the, the pillars of leadership. If we really want to continue on this trajectory to a more autonomous system without uh, without the levels of local authority support that we saw a decade or so ago, then we've got to invest in in the people to to work in that in that space. We have to. You mentioned about qualification. So one of the things that AbleEd is, is really aiming to do is try to provide bursaries. So we're reaching out to organisations that can give us some sponsorship. To provide bursaries so that our members can apply and um, we've got one at the moment who we've been able to help to do an aspiring business manager course so you know she's in a school not in that role but that's what she wants to do so we've supported her to do that and we really want to try and build them up so we have a bank of these bursaries not not just all for the same qualification but to really support um, members to be able to progress where the access to cpd is a barrier to them doing that and i mean school budgets CPD is the first thing that gets cut and a lot of schools just say we can't afford to so we want to really try to support people to be able to access those and that leads towards their development as well and their progression within the career so that's something we really think is, is a way forward in terms of supporting 
where we want to get to. And, and Cheryl, the the, um, the career obviously appealed to you, and you've um, you've been able to um, p- progress. Have you got any other thoughts about about how to um, you know attract more people from from BAME backgrounds and, and crucially progress them? I think one of the key things is actually raising the visibility. So so you know, <coughs> look at the results, and you think there there were eight respondents who identified as black and fourteen who identified as Asian, and we know there are more, so we want to really raise that visibility to say, look, this is a profession, it's for everybody. It's not just it's not just a white male profession, it's for everybody. And here we are, there's a few of us here, we can put our hands up and just really be visible and shine the light to say, this is the profession that, that works for everybody. And it's, it's males and females, it's, you know, it's not, it's not just one type of person that does this job. So we have to really make ourselves a bit more visible and, and show that, that it's already happening. We just want to increase that fourfold, and that's the way to. For me, that's the way to really be the role model and say it is happening. Why not come and join us? And and as I always say to Stephen, if I could do any maths at all, <laughs> it would definitely be a career that I would be interested in because it is, it is so um, tremendously important. Apart from anything else, as well as being as being varied and the skills the skills that you develop, but you are of, of pivotal importance in an organisation where most people are focused on the teaching and learning. Um, the the things that you can bring to the table are are vital. Um, so uh, thank you, thank you for that. And um, you mentioned. Can I just add, oh, yeah, sure. can I add one more thing? So the other the other point I wanted to make is that um, we talked about you being the only person in the school doing that job. And one of the things I think is very key is to look outside of your school and having a mentor is absolutely fantastic. So matching, being matched up with a mentor is is brilliant for helping you with your career development. Somebody who is within the profession already, maybe has done it for a few years more and can just guide you along the way to say, this is how I progressed. Have you thought about this? Because there are lots of people who struggle, find it a very lonely profession. And so, you know, I've matched up quite a few people with mentors along the way. I think I've been doing that for about a year now. And just, um, and because of, I think I, ironically, coming out of COVID, one of the things that has worked is that people are now more um, used to doing things virtually. So I have people who are being mentored in London by somebody in Manchester, and that isn't a barrier. Whereas previously it was difficult to match mentors. I was looking for somebody locally where you could say, right, we can meet up. Now everything is done by a Zoom or Teams. And so we've got mentors from all over the place. And we've got so many willing current business leaders who want to give back, who want to share, who want to help. We're now supporting people all over the place. And um, you know, I've, I've spoken to a um, network leader in Nottingham who says, you know, send them my way. I'm quite happy to support people. I'm quite happy to help them if they want to do the qualification and they're not in a school, I can guide them through it. So there's people who are ready and willing to help. And I think having a mentor is invaluable. It's invaluable to just having someone to bounce off and to map your career path out and just widen your understanding of how it can work and Twitter. Yeah, and as, and as you say, actually understanding what that career path could look like and what the next step might be yeah. and when and how to do it is is That's always one of, my, one of my recommendations, get yourself a mentor, um, become a governor, look at how you can do qualifications. Those are the sort of key things I always recommend to people because being a governor also gives you invaluable experience and insight into how a school works. And that, that, that was fantastic for me. I, I was a governor for 10 years at my first school. 
And if folks want to be mentors or get mentored, should they get in touch with you? And we can put the details of, of how to do that on the, on the notes here. Yeah, I have a, a Twitter account called SBM Mentors and people just get in touch with me and I try to match them up as quickly as I can. And I have lots of willing people waiting in the wings who want to, to give support and guidance. So I generally try to match up based on the phase of school and the type of school, um, whether it's maintained or academy, because it can be quite different processes. But there's so many people willing and waiting to, to give their guidance and support. So I'm quite happy to keep matching people. Fantastic. And as you say, really great to get practice shared more widely across the country, because I think, you know, it's been the final sort of death knell for the very much local authority centric view of, of things where it's like, well, what are they doing elsewhere and locally? That's okay. It's like, oh, I can find out what they're going. Oh, they're doing some really interesting stuff over here and there. And as you say, doing it remotely um, really, really broadens everybody's horizons in a, in a positive way. Um, and any, any, any immediate plans for further collaboration between ISBL and ABLED that you want to let our listeners know about? Well, I, mean, I think I think we, uh, we we're going to continue to work with AbleEd to make sure that uh, AbleEd representatives feature in our events going forward. Um, and at the moment, you know, our our program of events is it is constrained, is limited to virtual. But hopefully, as the restrictions ease, we'll be able to do more face to face things. So that that conversation is ongoing um the i think the, the important thing following any piece of research is to is to go back to the research after a period of time and, and say okay well we we, we we had these conversations we started on a journey what's the impact you know let's impact let's evaluate the impact a year on two years on three years on so i, I it absolutely isn't the end of uh, of of the uh of the effort, no, no, no by, by, by a long shot, it's not. Um, and collaboration with, with, with Able Ed will be a, a really central part to everything that we do going forward in this space. Fantastic. And, and Cheryl, any last thoughts from you? Yeah, I think, I mean, for us, Able Ed just wants to be the vehicle. We're, we're, we're not set in stone. We want to be the vehicle that actually evolves with the needs of the community that's out there. So we want to give the support that's needed. We want to listen to what's needed and actually, as far as we can, facilitate support that needs to be out there. So the only way to do that is by collaboration. You know, no one can really do that in silo. So the collaboration has to be a key part of every strategy. You know, we're business leaders, we, we do action plans and <laughs> we revise our action plans and it's just what we're used to doing. So we have to really make sure that's one of the key factors in there is collaboration because no one can do it on their own. Well, if, 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 anyone, if anyone can make a change, it is a group of school business leaders in my experience. Um, so best of luck with everything you're doing. And thank you so much to both of you for talking to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions. <laughs>